This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Why are there so many scams right now? How hard is cybersecurity? How many passwords do I really need? This is For Tech's Sake, a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. We're your hosts, Elaine Burke and Jenny Darmody. And today we're unlocking the secrets of cybersecurity. Oh, nicely punned. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very good. Yeah. So what's cybersecurity, Jenny? For those who are completely out of the loop. It's security in the cyber world. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, that's very simple. <laughs> and that's it. That's the end of the episode. Okay, wrapped um, up, done. So, cybersecurity covers um, a whole host of areas of, um, you know, it is it is security within the online world. It's it's data breaches, it's companies protecting their data in general, and also ransomware attacks, phishing emails, those scams that we get, you know emails pretending to be from your bank all of that pertains to cyber attacks malware cybersecurity all of that comes under that umbrella um now we know that there's been some really big noteworthy attacks um in the last couple of years in particular uh, the HSE the health service executive that had a major attack um during the pandemic as well which was quite a time for yeah. tech and cyber yeah. and Ireland in general and I mean, I think that one was possibly a long time coming because you and I both know from our coverage of the HSEs, like Irish Health Services, technological capabilities for years haven't been so great. Yeah. And if you are on old technology, you are likely to get hacked. Yeah. That's the unfortunate truth there. And actually, I believe there was a case where the instances of cyber attacks did increase during COVID because when people are stressed and vulnerable, when organizations are stressed and vulnerable, that is a prime opportunity for these cyber criminals to take an advantage. Yeah. And I think that's something to bear in mind for even the the smaller individual, you know, like that individual hack, that individual email that comes into your account. You know, there's things that are sort of signposted to make it a cybersecurity scam, which is that that urgency, that looking for vulnerability. And it was a real it was a real thing to capitalize on in COVID. But also the the conflict with between Russia and Ukraine was also a major time for cybersecurity um, hacks and cybercrime to just go through the roof because it's it's playing on that vulnerability. It's playing on that kind of open gap in the market, essentially. Because there's such a range like you're talking about, like there's people trying to literally just get at you. And your data get you to accidentally share your banking information because they told you there's a lost package or something like that and tried to catch you in a moment of vulnerability all the way up to the level of people trying to like attack entire infrastructures of countries to try and topple a really, really important societal infrastructure that way. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a wide span of this one subject matter that, you know, relies on a lot of people to keep it all together. Yeah, and there has been a lot of talk as well about, you know, whether or not the next world war might be a cyber war, you know, like because it can be, you know, utilized in such a way. It's essentially a weapon, you know, the cyber, the whole cyber infrastructure that people can use and, and things like that. So like that is a concern. Now, I, I don't know like how likely that is as an actual thing on its own. But, you know, th it's it's safe to say that there's definitely involvement of, you know, military operations or there's dangers to be had or to be discussed about cyber attacks um but also there's the data breaches big data breaches which both at attack the individual but also on that bigger scale so it kind of falls in between the cracks of you know major um infrastructure like the health service um 
but it affects so many users. The Facebook um, data leak in particular. Um, I think it was, was it a year ago or two years ago? timeline on my um, yeah the <laughs> pandemic has really the, there's, a big, there's a big data breach every week every month this really is though isn't there yeah. uh, like we know that from covering it but it does seem to be like no matter how many headlines of data breaches there are people are still very very willing to share their information online in, in many many ways even if it's just to access a one-off mm. uh, article a one-off web page and they're entering all this data or they're just yes yes to all the cookies not even going to read what they are just going to go for it so I think no matter how aware we are that cyber crime exists and that hacks exist and that breaches happen all the time. We're still very like, oh, I just want the convenience of getting at this thing as quickly as possible. I'm just going to click yes to everything and give it whatever information. And there's a double edged sword to that because, yeah, it is people being lazy and I, I'm not being judgmental. I am one of them. I absolutely have done that before. Um, I'm going to get in trouble for that, I know. Um, <laughs> but the companies also want to make it as easy as possible for you to give them your data. They actually probably want to make it difficult for you to not give them your data, to be honest. They're like, you know, please have, please, please enter my data. Um, you're essentially the product when it's free. So they want the data so they're they're making it very easy they're making it very um attractive mm. to hand over your data and making it look like it's very seamless and easy and plenty of them i'm sure mm -hmm. talk about the the best and the most secure way they handle the data but at the end of the day they all say that and by and large they often get breached well, that's the thing. They, they make themselves targets. Yeah. Because they, they store all this data and some of them store very sensitive data. Some of them store credit card information and that kind of stuff, which is like putting a big old target on your company for cyber attackers. And I always, my advice is always be very suspicious of anything that makes things easy for you online because it's probably not to your benefit. Mm -hmm. Things like storing your credit card information. Maybe you should think twice about that purchase and thinking twice would be having to go and fetch your credit card and your wallet and then enter the information. And then you'd be like, I actually don't even want this product that much. AliExpress, I'm, I'm leaving you alone now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I always do say that. But I think maybe we should get some advice from a real expert and, and not me on cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I quite agree. So joining us today to parse through some of these topics is Brian Honan, CEO of BH Consulting. Brian is an internationally recognized expert on cybersecurity. He has acted as a special advisor to Europol's Cybercrime Centre, EC3. He is the founder of Ireland's first computer security instance response team known as IRIS, CERT. He is also a member of the advisory board of several innovative security companies and has been inducted into InfoSecurity Europe Hall of Fame. Brian, thank you for joining us. Today. Oh, thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about, you know, we've talked a little bit about HSC attack. There's also been, you know, attacks in the US, for example, Colonial Pipeline, which affected, you know, the gas network there and things like that. So the threat landscape does definitely seem to have gotten worse in the last couple of years. Why is that? It's simply because there's money in cybercrime. Uh, we have a huge amount of uh, people getting involved in cybercrime because they can make a lot of money and they're making money with uh, a relatively low level of risk as well. So, for example, if uh, I'm a hacker and I want to break into, uh, say, one of the banks here or hack a company here in Ireland, uh, I'm not going to do it from uh, a computer based here in Ireland because it, I'm in the same jurisdiction and the guard, can come and arrest me and bring me to an Irish court. Uh, I'll hack somewhere 
uh, remotely uh, and through that computer I'll hack another computer and from that computer I may hack uh, my ultimate target back here in Ireland. So now we have a situation where I am shielded by two or three uh, hops where I've, I'm, I'm protected from. Those are in other jurisdictions. So if the victim company causes on Garda Shikana and Garda Shikana gathers the evidence, they identify an IP address as coming from a country, say, for example, Brazil. Uh, now we've got an international search warrant having to be issued by Angara Shikana to the Brazilian police. Uh, that takes time. And then the Brazilian police find that the attack came from a computer that was compromised from another country, say China. And now you've got uh, international search warrants there as well. So it can take a lot of time and effort for the police to track this down. So as a criminal, in, you know, I've had months now to to move on and, and, and make better. So the, the risk is relatively low and the rewards can be quite high. So that's why we're seeing uh, a, a surge in cybercrime is that criminal gangs are getting heavily involved. And I think part of the issue we historically have is when we think of cybersecurity or IT security or information security or whatever you want to call it, because uh, we've gone through many different d- different names for it over the years. Uh, Ultimately, you know, the, the the typical vision we have is a pimply teenager stuck in their parents' basement who plays online computer games and in between is is, is, is hacking companies just, just for fun. There's a certain amount of truth in that, that there are people out there like that. But no, the, you know, you, you mentioned the HSE attack. That is an organized criminal gang who are making millions of dollars per year on their activities. And it's highly um, profitable for them. Uh, so therefore, it, they're highly motivated to carry it out. And it's, 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 it, it makes it a bigger challenge for us all. And is that money Is that money coming straight from ransomware, which I think the HSE attack was a ransomware attack where they mm-hmm. basically yeah. take over your systems and hold it to ransom? Or is it also from selling the data? Like, is there other ways that they're making money? Because obviously the, the deal is to not pay the ransom. That's what you should, should never that's, do. That, that, that's the advice is not to pay the ransom. Um, and we can come back to that in, in a few minutes. But to answer your, your question, Elaine, criminals make money in any way they can. So uh, ransomware has become very in your face for the past few years, uh, simply because it's tied into how easy it, used to, it is to use cryptocurrency. Ransomware is not new. We've had ransomware back in the 1990s. But back then, the ransomware was your computer got encrypted, you got ransom demand, you, ha- you, know, you had to use traditional uh, money transfer methods, uh, uh, banking transfers or any other money transfer methods, which were very easy for the police to track down. And, and you know, so you'd, you'd have... Police, you know, we're we're sending we're wiring money to this to, to this address in this this country. The police would ring the police in that country, and the criminals will be will, will, will be picked up. Uh, I'm over simple simplifying yeah. it, but that's generally what it was back in the 90s and early 2000s. But with cryptocurrency, it means it's uh, quicker payment to the criminals, uh, less risk to them. Cryptocurrency is not uh, immune. You know, you're you're not totally uh, anonymous in, in, in cryptocurrency. Uh, so it, it does take the police longer to track you down. But it, it, again, criminals can make uh, money quickly and a lot of money through, through it. So ransomware is one way they make money. Uh, to, so if you take the HZ attack, the criminals had what we call a double extortion 
uh, attack against the HSC. One was they demanded, I think the ransom demand was $20 million to get the uh, key to decrypt the data they had encrypted. So the HSC would have had to pay $20 million to get that. And another €10 million Euro on top of that not to publish the uh, data they stole online. So there, there, there's two... The crimes are trying to get you both ways. You know, you want to get your data back, well, it's going to cost you this. And you you want us not to publish it, it's going to cost you cost you this. And uh, that's a, a, a double extortion attack. We also have seen now what we call triple extortion attacks, where the criminals actually go through the data they've stolen, and if they find anything incriminating in the company's data, they add an extra ransom on top of that. Um, or an example would be there was a, psych, uh, a psychiatric clinic in Finland uh, which was hit about two years ago uh, by uh, ransomware. There was a demand to for the, the key to decrypt the data. There was a demand given to them uh, for the uh, to not to publish the data online. But the criminals also went through the individual patient records and contacted each individual patient and asked them for uh, an individual ransom for not to have their individual information over there. So to me, uh, hopefully what we're getting a picture here is that, it, you know, the cuddly little hacker we talked mm. about at the beginning. That's not who's involved in cybercrime now. These are hardened criminals who don't care who they hurt or what they need to do. And sometimes I see headlines, you know, oh, hackers give key to ho- to ransom hospital for free. And it's kind of like, oh, aren't they the Robin Hood of the, you know, no, they have victimized, you know, the most vulnerable in society. And just because they give the key to sort of say, oh, look, we're sorry, doesn't make them any any nicer. These are hardened criminals who will uh, get into any type of crime uh, to make money. Cybercrime being one of it. We, ha- we know these cyber criminals are part of organized crime in general. So there's they're part of gangs that do human trafficking, that do drugs, that do all the stuff that you you know, we, we read about in the papers. These are all tied in together. Yeah. And I think what you said there about the cryptocurrency is really interesting. And also just the the ability to kind of communicate remotely and work remotely. Like these are all touted as things that are great about innovation because mm-hmm. we use them ourselves day to day to connect with people, to work with people all over the world. And the things that have made life easier for us in many ways are also making life easier for criminals. It's Absolutely. a lot easier for them to do what they do. And cryptocurrency, still something that hasn't really hit the mainstream here, has been definitely optimized by them faster than anyone else in, in common society. Oh, like there's, there's a, a famous cybersecurity uh, uh, person, uh, Mikko Hippinen, uh, based out of Finland, works for uh, with Secure, uh, uh, an antivirus company based out of uh, Helsinki. And he actually talked about how they've, they, they've been monitoring uh, Bitcoin wallets that are belong to known criminal gangs and they've actually made money by not withdrawing the money out the, out the wallets because the cryptocurrency values have gone up you know so they he says we have you know you've got tech unicorn startups you've got cyber cyber criminal unicorns as well who have just made money by simply have using cryptocurrency like we, we all do and they've just yeah. got the benefit of having lots of it. <laughs> Take that into account, Andres and Horowitz. <laughs> <laughs> when you invest in cryptocurrency, you could be actually inflating the valuation of a That's criminal actually, gang. That could be part of it, yeah. And, you know, same thing you, you, you mentioned, Elaine, about paying the ransom. You you pay the ransom to the to these people. You are funding their ability to do more research and to inflict mm-hmm. more pain and, and get more victims, And which is why 
many of us in the cybersecurity community and including law enforcement, etc., will advise people not to pay the ransom. Now, of course, if you're a business owner and you have to, that's a tough decision you may have to make sometime. But I would recommend make that decision now whether or not you're going to pay a ransom if you get hit uh, because trying to make that decision at two o'clock on a Sunday morning when all your systems are down is yeah. is, is not the, not the most optimal stuff. That's when they come. Friday afternoons is our busiest time. Yeah, often like over holiday periods and things like that. Yeah. Basically when the IT team is probably a skeleton crew, they're exactly. going home, they might not be there at that's, all. That's when they hit. And the damage is being yeah. done. If you take the HSC, they hit uh, HSC in the middle of Thursday night. Uh, yeah. just before the weekend and the the HSE attack is one of many examples of ultimately like there is all these tech um, tools and these advancements that make it easier to um, do ransomware attacks you know commit cyber crimes but ultimately there's a very simple um, weak link in the chain which is always kind of going it's often a human element of or yeah. do you think that that's I overly, hate that phrase yeah? Jenny I really do uh, you know we're blame we're blaming the victim yeah. here uh, and if you look at any of the uh, uh, research reports that are out there mm. on, on on breaches, you'll find that a lot of breaches actually were detected by people yeah. and prevented by people rather than all the fancy technology yeah. that we were spending money on. So I would argue people are our are best defense yeah. if they're properly trained and they're properly aware. But it's also uh, in, in your introduction, you talked about the, uh, you know, old IT systems in place. And, you know, if if your whole infrastructure and your whole IT systems go down simply because somebody clicked on an attachment in an email or a link in an email, well, that's kind of like blaming, you know, you're, you're blaming the user for that. But what other defense did you have in place mm. to prevent that from happening? People will make mistakes. Email is designed to work the way it is. Mm. It's designed for us to send attachments. It's designed for us to send links. Uh, you know, if if we were to make email secure, it would be unusable. Mm. <laughs> you know, if we want to be absolutely secure, it would be unusable, but we wouldn't be using it. Uh, so we have to, as professionals, IT professionals, cybersecurity professionals, and a call out to the vendors out there as well, uh, we have to make the products more robust, more resilient, more reliable and more secure and not rely on somebody who has had, if they're lucky, a half an hour lunch and learn presentation on how to stay safe online given by their their, their, their company. Uh, you know, that's no way to protect your organisation. I know I'm being a bit flippant, but sometimes that's what it, it comes down to. Part of the problem we have is that vendors and application developers and etc. have relied on people picking secure passwords to keep the system secure. Mm. And that's putting it on us. Put, putting the onus on us as individuals. And it's also making, it's because passwords are cheap. You write a system to, and you rely on uh, being secured by passwords. Well, it's cheaper to write a, uh, uh, a t- an authentication mechanism using passwords than it is to use other things. Uh, so that's why companies use it. And then you're putting, and, e- and even many companies don't even you don't even manage the password system properly. They may store passwords in plain text or whatever. That's a compl- sorry, I'm, going, I'm diverting away from the the question. You, oh no, you, you, I was you rolling asked. my eyes at the frustration of that, not because I was in any way bored. <laughs> I was just like, Holy no, no, crap. <laughs> yeah, you know, like if you like, look at LinkedIn back in 2014, everybody's user and password was stored in a plain text file. So when they got hacked, everybody's password was available. Now, the problem is 
the standard advice we give for people on passwords is, what is it? Use a different password for every platform? Well, that's what we tell people to do. <laughs> but the most people that hear, what people hear is, pick a password, make it long, use uppercase, lowercase mm. numbers and special characters. Make it something that you remember, but not, not easy to guess. Don't make it a word out of a dictionary because crims can use that. Mm-hmm. And use a different one for every system. Yeah. That sounds, like how easy does that, like that's, that's ridiculous. Hi there. We are sorry to interrupt your podcast, but we would love to get your thoughts on podcasting in Ireland. Please go to thepodcaststudios.ie forward slash survey and help us fill out the form. You will automatically be entered into a draw for a 200 euro one for all gift card. While I feel as, uh, as an IT professional, we need the IT industry to uh, look more upon how we make systems easier to use from a security point of view. And we need to stop it being middle-aged white guys who are developing these systems in in, in America somewhere. We need to take a whole, everybody's experience in uh, a diversity. And like, if you look at some of the technology coming out of Africa where they've got limited internet access and limited resources, some, they've got some great text-based, SMS-based payment systems coming out, you know, that, that you just go, wow, that's really cool, really smart. And they, that's, you know, let's, let's take more of that on board. Sorry. I've always said limitations always give you the best innovations. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. it's so important to point out that, like, people do just want to, like, get on with their work. And also, they and don't. Lives. Yeah, but they don't set out to be unsecure. I think no. it's important to remember that they're not purposely, like, people who are putting in the same password for everything don't set out to be like, oh, yeah. I'm just going to take a risk. Yeah. I'm feeling wild Look today. Look I'm daring. Yeah. I'm living the wild side. Woo-hoo! Yeah. I'm living yeah. on the edge. <laughs> yeah. Come and hack me. Yeah, no, they, yeah. like, they would prefer Forget to be about secure. Those roller coasters. I'm going to use the same password across 10 systems. <laughs> they yeah. want to be secure. <laughs> they it's that true. Really me. <laughs> <laughs> they want to be secure. They want to do it easily, but they want to get on with their can, work. Yeah. And on the day to day basis of like, oh, how long is this going to take me? I'm going to get there faster. Yeah. And that that sounds like a you problem, IT industry. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. And yeah. it's also, you know, we need to invest in talent and skills to make that happen and invest in technology to make it happen and not kind of go, well, It'll do, and we fi- we 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 fix security in a later on. Like the amount of times we get phone calls from uh, an, a, a company saying, "Look, can we hire services?" And we go, "Absolutely, yeah, we're going live on a system next week. Can you do a penetration test on it?" And we're going, "Right, you're going live next week." Uh, so, you want us to do a test and come back with all the findings and have those fixed within a week? You know, and a week sometimes is generous. Sometimes it's you know. Can somebody come in and give, test our system tomorrow? We're going live the next day. You know, like it's it's to build security in from the very very beginning. And you mentioned, um, you know, bringing in more skills and talent. There's a lot of talk around like tech talent shortage in general and cybersecurity has a talent shortage and things like that. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts range from, yeah, we do have it to that. This, oh, we're, we're, we're not doing this properly. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not going to use the bad language, but sometimes I think we look at this and we're going, you know, I see I see adverts for uh, SOC analysts. 
you know, so if you like entry level roles in IT, you know, that you have to have a computer degree. Mm. You have to have a, a CISSP, which is a, a security certificate. It's a professional certification. You need at least five years for that. Yeah. So the criminals don't have those. The criminals don't have that. <laughs> uh, they don't. And if you're putting these rigid requirements in place, well, then you're only you're going to narrow the talent pool to a very competitive pool. It is a very male dominated and chauvinistic industry. Unfortunately, it's, it's you know, uh, I have witnesses at conferences and stuff where, uh, you know, you, you said if, if, if that behavior happened in a nightclub, that person would have been kicked out. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, and it's it's a it's a it's sometimes it can be very agro based things. You know, we have this in the IT cybersecurity industry. You sometimes have this kind of well, you know, we're on we're on the front line defending the organizations against hackers and criminals and 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 nation state attackers. You know, we are the we are the elite of IT, and therefore we're macho, we're brilliant. You know, like how many vulnerabilities have you got? You know, how many CVEs have you have you registered, etc. And you're going, guys, it's not about that. You know, tone it down. You're not special forces. You're you're an IT person. You're a geek. You know, be a nice geek. Don't be an asshole geek. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm not. No, I love that. That was brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, like. Uh, See, cranky old man. <laughs> <laughs> do you know we love a cranky old man, though, don't we? We do, yeah. <laughs> Big fan. <laughs> but it, like, it's definitely a career path worth exploring for anyone with Absolutely. Like, any interest in any it. Any interest in you're, it. you're needed. Yes. And once you're needed, you will have a very competitive case to make to an well, employer. Well, I, I often joke, Elaine, that if. I didn't have my own company. If my company was somehow to go out of business tomorrow and I had to apply for a job in the IT, se- IT sector, uh, IT se- cybersecurity sector, I wouldn't get a job. I don't have a computer degree. I have no third level education. I have very I have a few industry cert- certificates, but I wouldn't get, you know, if, if you if you look at the job, if you look at the adverts, you don't meet the there. specifications. I don't meet the minimum specifications. Literal Hall of Fame person. I, I was, I was, I helped a, uni- a, a university here in Ireland develop their master's in cybersecurity course. I put together the content for them. I sat with the college against the, uh, I can't remember, the, the government board that approves the, the courses to, to support them with it. I was invited by the head of school to lecture on it and I said no problem I was told the formality would be that's no problem Brian you're from the, but you, there is a formality you'll have to apply for the job I said no problem so I said, put together my CV I sent it in didn't hear anything didn't hear anything rang up the HR department was told oh yeah you didn't qualify wow so I didn't because you didn't take you designed the course <laughs> I designed the, I didn't have a, uh, there, I didn't have a computer degree minimum requirement was you had to have a computer degree I was going, but I designed the course and I, I, at the time I was lecturing in two other universities in cybersecurity and this university said, no, you don't meet, the, you don't have the minimum requirements. So, you know, if, if, if you want to have a diverse, you know, there are lots of other good people my age, you know, so mm-hmm. like we talk about diversity, it's not just male based on female. male and female. Yeah. Ageism is, comes, can come, in, come across. You may have people who have have a long career in IT, you know, you know who who are the ones who held the internet together by chewing gum and bits of uh, uh, tinfoil back in the day to to make it into what it is today. Uh, who probably wouldn't get a job if they were to apply for it 
straight off the bat because they don't have they don't meet the minimum requirements. I really loved um, that interview in general, really, because Brian's amazing. But one thing that particularly struck me, because it has come up with a lot of interviews that I've had with other cybersecurity experts, is talking about that human weak link. And even that label is, like, quite harsh. And I love that Brian came out in defense of users in terms of, like, it should not be all on us. And it's a bit of a cop-out, actually, to be like, you know, this is the thing that you have to fix. Is It's the humans who are wrong. Yeah. The and individual users. To literally label it as victim blaming yeah is a very strong statement because he's right there yeah as well like that whole weak link in the chain like i've used that language i have and i have said that before but he has really made me rethink that yeah and i like that he's coming out in defense of the users and sympathizing with the pressure we're under with all of the multiple passwords and the multiple multi-factor authentication systems and all the pressure that we're under to do the job that these parties are actually paid substantially mm. to do and yeah they're really just trying to take shortcuts themselves yeah the criminals aren't taking shortcuts nope they're not they are hiring literal psychologists to fool us like what that makes so much sense that he said that yeah but i didn't think that that was actually happening mm-hmm. but i can see you can see the effects of that because i think there's a people who get scammed there's a lot of shame in it as well yeah. and that's why like people underreport them mm. as well because they're ashamed that they got caught out. But you should never, ever be ashamed. It is so easy. Even the most hypervigilant people get them in a vulnerable moment Yeah, with a text that was just the right text at that time. So, like, yeah. They do that thing where they send a million DHL misdelivery texts to anybody. And like most of those people don't have a DHL delivery on the way. So that's straight away. They know it's a scam. But get the right person at the right time who also happens to have this use case that you've identified active in their lifetime that's it like you just you've you've won you know it's just so simple for them to to catch you so no one should ever feel bad yeah and I'm nodding I'm nodding along to you but like I know in my heart of hearts that if I clicked on a link I would be embarrassed like I'd be raging with myself that I fell for it even though they're designed to make us fall into that trap like that's literally what they're what they're designed to do and and in all the talk we talk about um how cyber criminals have gotten more sophisticated. That sounds like they've gotten more advanced with their technology and it's amazing. And it's true, they have. But really the sophistication has just come from, Jesus, that was a very believable email. Like yeah. that's what I've noticed is they don't always have the spelling mistakes anymore. They don't always have the ridiculously long email. The emails look legitimate and that's how you fall for them because These... they're so easy. They're like it's in a quick moment, a genuine looking email from your boss, from the email that looks like it's from your boss asking you to call them urgently or to, you know, check this document quickly because they can't take a phone call right now. Yeah. It's believable. A con's a con. These are still confidence tricksters. They are going to use psychological tricks as much as they are going to use technology. And that's the part I think that gets missed a lot of the time because obviously a lot of the businesses that do cyber protection are trying to sell you on the technological stuff. But there's a huge amount of psychology in this. And I actually think small companies have a huge advantage here. We know this Mm -hmm. from our experience in that once you have a team that is closely connected and they actually communicate with each other one-to-one on a regular basis and um, they're very familiar with kind of your style of sending a message um, as a manager as a team leader and they're very familiar with like the kind of things that you would send them and you know you're on top of your project so if you're not expecting a document that's like you need to review this right now and it's like what I'm off today <laughs> and you knew that you signed off my leave uh, all those small things actually count a lot mm. in this space I think so 
And I've heard a lot of like with big companies, it is the fact that they're distant. So their their manager isn't in touch with them all the time. So when they get that urgent mail that looks like it's from their manager and it's asking them to do something urgently, open a file urgently, they're more likely to follow it rather than directly approach mm. said manager, either, you know, through a direct message or person to person and say, did you mean to send me that? Was that for me? Because that was unexpected. Yeah. Um, so if you don't actually have space for that to happen on your team, you're also kind of creating vulnerability. So actually having managers that are approachable is yeah. important thing. So there's lots of like cultural things. Like I was even thinking when Brian was talking about um, things like clicking attachments, I was like, if you even just had, say, because these things don't have to be onerous and they don't have to be stressful for people. They can be kind of part of how they work. And a simple thing, say if you have a file naming system mm-hmm. in your company and we always label our files with this kind of filing name structure. So if someone sends you an attachment that's just called like remittance advice, which is what a lot of them get labeled. And that's not matched to what you're used to seeing in your day to day work. You will immediately have a red flag raised there because it's just out of the norm. Mm. So if you can create norms in your company yeah. that would only be known within your company, well, then you have a huge advantage as well. And that's if you're a bigger company, you don't have a lot of that one to one stuff across teams. That could be a huge yeah to turn your help you're you're essentially setting up sort of the red flags that you know and, and brian did rightly say that there's not a whole lot of um comms out there on this sort of stuff in general like that rsa campaign for example but every single banking website basically that you go on to will have a big red mark on the top of it that says we will never ask you to send us your details and that should be across all companies i think to be like whatever because everybody sends attachments they're needed at different times or whatever but whatever your norm needs to be of like i'm never going to send you this without telling you i'm sending you this or whatever it is whatever way it needs to be normalized of this is the way we do things if you get it a different way call me or text me or teams me you know any of those things and because you know and people will make mistakes and they'll do it without following the protocol but the checking the ability to be like did you mean to send me that then they can be like yeah no sorry i did i forgot to flag it with you but that's legitimate please do click on it scams rely on you acting quickly and thoughtlessly and without checking that's what they really rely on so there's never any harm like things are never that urgent you know, airlines, you know, that package isn't going anywhere. Um, (laughs) You know, those customs charges will get paid. It's all going to be fine if you just take a moment and and have a think or even whoever's purported to have sent said text message or email to you. Find their contact information independently of the text that was sent Mm -hmm. and reach out to them and say, I just got this message say if it's your bank or whatever and, and I just want to check that it's legit and chances are your bank will tell you you know we're not sending any messages like that because like you said they don't tend to communicate that way yeah. now I will say I have seen legit texts from some banks won't name names that looked a hella dodge looked like a scam like even the grammar <laughs> was bad yeah. and that used to be a really good indicator teller but they're they're getting so savvy now these days like they they, they do really fancy emails they do great Microsoft dupes like yeah. they have Microsoft headers and footers mm. and stuff like that you have to look really closely for the flaws and obviously like me editor brain I, I would spot stuff like that but like can't expect everybody to be doing that but they're getting so sophisticated now but I will say even some official content has those errors in it now which makes it a minefield which is why the double checking is a really good idea and another really good idea is verification yes which is, you know, hot topic since Elon Musk um, made it a joke. Um, yeah. But that's actually one... No blue tick is a new blue tick. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of verification yeah, as a system outside of the likes of your Twitter or social media accounts or something like that is actually really, really useful. And um, 
Gmail are bringing this in, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. So they're bringing in an email standard where, say, an email from um, a domain that they have verified. So it's basically saying this is definitely from the company it's purporting to be from. And we have verified that. And they're using a tick system. So you'll get an email from a company and they'll have a little tick next to them. So you'll know that's definitely from that company. It's been verified by, by Google that that company owns that domain and it's all linked and it all makes sense. So it's not that, you know, someone has made a version of their website that uses their company name or misspells it slightly because um, that's what that's a lot of trickery that they do and, and they're very capable of doing that because you can just buy, buy domains willy-nilly these days. Like, it's not hard. Um, so the, that verification idea is really good. It just takes a lot of work on the vendor side. You know, it takes a lot of work on Google's side to do that verification process. It's why the Twitter verification system itself, before it was paid for, was a slow process and it was something that they switched off in, in, in between times because it, it, it's a high resource activity to, to verify mm. these things but wouldn't that be great if say the text that you got from your bank had some sort of verification I know that something else has been looked at and um, emails that you got were verified like all those kind of comms like verification could solve a lot there. yeah it could certainly plug the hole of like it's an extra step that you get to be like this is coming from a trusted source yeah. which is sort of like um, <laughs> I, I know you have thoughts on this but like the advice that used to be there, which is check the website that it has a padlock symbol at the top to make sure that it's a secure. Yeah. So yeah. what's happening? The little, <laughs> the little padlock is it's it's the solid advice that I've been giving to lots of people that lots of people who communicate in this space have been given to people is that if you're transacting online, you want to make sure that it's a secure website and that the data transfer is going to be encrypted and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and a way to check that is that there's a little padlock and a padlock is a really good signifier there because a little locked padlock means security I mean it's the default image we use yeah. <laughs> as writers when we're trying to write stories about security all the time because it's an abstract concept and there's no physical images that associate with it really well and Google on Chrome the browser that is used by the most users in the world um, has decided to turn the little padlock icon into a menu item instead so the symbol isn't going to be a padlock and you'd have to actually click in to check if the SSL certificate is there and verified. Now, they're saying they're doing this because like HTTPS, that kind of secure web browsing is now the default. But that that's presumptuous. That's, well, like it is like best practice. It is best practice. But that that doesn't mean that there isn't plenty of actors out there who aren't going to use it and that it might be absent on some sites. So yeah. like having that symbol there is still really useful and having it be a padlock is also really useful because it just, as I said, it's a really handy signifier. So having a nonsense menu item symbol that people now have to click on, it's like, oh, now we have to change our advice on that. Like, Well, it what? comes back to adding, like it, that's adding a little bit of extra friction really to checking your security, which is like the passwords thing that like, you know, Putting I feel like on users. Yeah, passwords is going to be this season's printers, I think. Um, <laughs> Because we only just talked about it this morning. Like I like I can't I can't log into one of my apps because it logged me out at some point. And every time I try to log in, I'm on the move. And it's like, oh, log in with your Google. What's your password? And I'm like, I can't remember. And I know what app you're talking about because when I got logged out of it, I had the same problem. And I'm now back in, and I never want to get logged out again because it was painful. And I appreciate the pain is for my benefit in a way, but like, yeah, I think. I would like to see a future where these things are done better and it's not creating pain for the user all the time. Yeah. Because, um, like, we're very security conscious and we're doing our best. Yeah. And the temptation re- is real, though, <laughs> to and be lazy. Any of us can fall for a scam. Yeah. And it's just nice for us to know that should we falter, there is a safety belt. Yeah. There. 
Yeah. That should should there be a slip on the road, that we will still be protected. And that's where the people responsible for these systems have to step up, I think. Yeah. And I think I think Brian made that point beautifully as well. That like it really it needs to stop being all on the users because it feels like every time a scam happens, it's because you didn't do all the things, you know? Like, oh, your car got stolen. Well, did you did you park it in a dodgy area? <laughs> you know, like people don't say that. Yeah. People are just like, oh, that's terrible for you. You know, yeah. so I think it's the same. I think it's, you know, users even blame themselves. Yeah, I was rushing around. I clicked on that too fast. I and, you know, like, yeah, maybe all those things are true. Like those are that those are good pieces of advice that we all should be like slowing down and taking a breath and reading those things. This is advice, sadly, we have to give out because the IT systems are not protecting us as well as they should be. But ultimately, that is what we should be looking to be like, well, why is this getting through? Don't be mad at you. Be mad at the scammer. Yeah. You're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> what a beautiful note to end on. Thank you for listening to this episode of For Tech's Sake. And thank you to Brian Honan for shedding some light on the ever-evolving threat landscape. You can find out more about all things cybersecurity on siliconrepublic.com and we'll share some starter links in the show notes, including our most recent cybersecurity week. For Tech's Sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. Follow at Silicon Republic and at For Tech's Sake Pod on your platform of choice. And please subscribe and share and let us know what you think. Next week, we'll have a bonus episode featuring our full interview with Brian. This is exclusive for Headstuff Podcast Network members, so do look into signing up. Otherwise, we'll be back to you in a fortnight. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.